Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. Today, we're talking about building and construction with Gary LaBarbera, president of the Building and Construction Trades Council of Greater New York and president of the New York State Building and Construction Trades Council. Gary has served since 2009 in this role for an organization comprising local affiliates of 15 national and international unions representing 100,000 working men and women in New York City. In 2021, Gary was elected president of the New York State Building and Construction Trades Council, which comprises 15 local building trades councils, 12 district councils and state associations, and 135 local unions representing 200,000 tradespeople across the entire state. He has embarked on ambitious negotiations for project labor agreements to provide labor cost savings to advance major public and private projects at risk of stalling due to the economic recession. He graduated from the Labor Studies Program at Cornell University School of Industrial Labor Relations. And with that, Gary, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Josh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you very much for having me. Well, it's great to be able to share your story. If you don't mind, give a little background on the Building and Construction yeah. Trades yeah. Council and, and what you guys do. Sure. So Building and Construction Trades Council, as you indicated in your gracious introduction, uh, represents various construction unions uh, throughout New York City and obviously throughout New York State. And the council's primary focus is to identify and advance opportunity uh, for their affiliates, spend a lot of time dealing with developers on emerging projects. There's often situations where, you know, projects need to go through the EULA process or there are other zoning issues. So we use our, our political strength to help developers that are going to build union move projects forward. As a result, you know, we create good union construction jobs. We do negotiate on behalf of the affiliates uh, project labor agreements, as you mentioned, both in the private and public sector. And, you know, we deal with legislative matters. So we're pretty busy. We're always advocating for labor standards. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, further in the show. But that's essentially in a, in a very concise message what we do. Well, it sounds like you have the responsibility of a lot of people on your shoulders in terms of their careers and their family and putting food on the table. And and, um, I have to imagine that it must have been difficult during the pandemic because you're certainly talking about one of the largest probably construction industries in the world and being in New York City. And and I'm curious if that, you know, what that time was like for you in terms of the livelihoods of a lot of people you represent. Let me first say, I mean, obviously, like every other industry, we were impacted uh, with with uh, significant unemployment, obviously. I mean, there were projects that were deemed essential projects, and those were primarily transportation projects, hospital projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very focused on continuing to work on hospitals. We were building out hospital space. You know, as, as we all re- recall, that was uh, something that was very important. And I got to say that we, along with our union contractors, we did some amazing work in terms of how quickly we're, we were able to stand up these facilities. Primarily, again, uh, transit projects, uh, you know, that, that includes, we continue to work on Moynihan Station, uh, LaGuardia Airport, uh, and then some other significant projects like the Javits Center expansion. Uh, that was deemed an essential project because they, you know, the, the idea behind that is we wanted to be able to get this thing built and then on time, on budget, and then be able to open, like reopening New York. We always 
thinking uh, down the line of the industry and as well as the, as the state. So those are a few of the type of the projects that, that we went. And I, I, you know, I always, whenever I get an opportunity to speak about that time period, I always have to acknowledge the courage of all the members that, especially in the early days, there was so much that was unknown, you know, came out and went to work. Yeah. Um, we did, along with industry partners and, and the governor at the time, we did put together what I would say is very uh, stringent safety protocols that were adopted and became a policy uh, of the state of New York, the Department of Health. And those, those protocols included, you know, where possible social distancing. We had staggered start time, so we didn't have large congregant areas at, at where the people would, um, the workers would be kind of compressed. There was a lot of sanitizing on the sites, hand wash stations, which, you know, hot water hand wash stations, which is not that common on, on uh, construction sites, wearing masks, obviously. So, I mean, that's the name of few. And, and so we tried to provide as an industry the best health and safety uh, protocols as possible. But, you know, unfortunately, we did lose members who went to work to do their job and did get sick. I mean, I will say that and speak to so many members, you know, they always felt there was an obligation to, to go to work and build these critical projects and essential mm -hmm. projects. But, you know, there was fear and people were concerned about getting sick, uh, which again, many did, and, and or bringing this, uh, you know, COVID home to their kids or their, their spouses or, you know, their parents. So it was a difficult time, but I, I just want to say this quickly. You know, there's a history in the building trades in New York City and nationally. We always rise to crisis. You know, people now, it's 20 years, a little more than 20 years. But I think many people forget uh, those tragic events of 9-11. And, and, you know, I will tell you thousands of construction workers on 9-11, you know, from all boroughs, not just in Manhattan, put their tools down and, and went to that site and, and to assist the uniformed services. We were there from 9-11 right through the completion of the recovery and cleanup. And, you know, again, so many today are, are sick and suffering uh, as so many of the uniform services. But I will tell you, you know, I was there with, with so many of the members at that time. I was with the Teamsters Union. And there was really a sense in the building trades membership that this was a duty, you know, not only to our city, but to our nation. You know, then you think about Superstorm Sandy. I mean, the devastation. So many homes were destroyed. People left without shelter. Homes that were still standing, no heat, you know, no water. And I got to tell you, we marshaled, uh, I was dealing very much directly with uh, Mayor Bloomberg at the time. Mm -hmm. We marshaled incredible numbers of, of skilled trades, men and women. And we were, you know, in the neighborhoods, in the communities immediately. Those were challenging times. So, you know, I just want to give a real recognition to the building trades membership and the unions and the industry as a whole, the unionized construction industry. Whenever there was a crisis, we were always here to raise up and, and address that crisis. So I'm very, very proud of, of all the members. Yeah, no, it's terrific work. I mean, people have to remember that while they were quarantining, there were a lot of other people out there, you know, working to provide whether critical infrastructure right. for, for everyone. About the apprenticeship programs. That's, uh, that's one of my, uh, my favorite um, topics to speak about. I'm just so proud of our apprenticeship programs. I will tell you that I refer to them clearly as best in class, and that is no uh, exaggeration. Uh, our facilities, the training centers that the local unions have in this New York City area and throughout the state are truly best in class. The, the apprenticeship programs really are pathways into the middle class. 
depending upon the trade, <clears throat> the apprenticeship can range from three years to five and a half years. Apprenticeship programs focus not only on skills training, there's a very, very uh, heavy focus on safety. And, and, and these programs, you know, apprentices, you got to remember, they learn as they go. So they, apprentices not only have in-class instruction, they're also on the job site and they're mm -hmm. being mentored on the job site. And if you think about it, you know, you're getting paid to learn a career. Uh, and it's a very unique uh, set of circumstances. And there is no cost for all this training. The industry, through, uh, through partnerships with the employer associations, pays for this training. It's estimated that it's about an average of $50,000 per apprentice that is invested. And mm -hmm. the reason that you know, employer associations work with us and make this investment is they know that we need to have a very highly skilled workforce construction industry, especially the type sure. of work that we focus on, large commercial institutional projects, you know, rebuilding airports, you know, this, this takes a lot of skill and uh, we provide that skill and that training. So very, very proud of all of the training directors and, and all of the facilities. We also have a number of pre-apprentice and direct entry, entry programs that we focus on serving underserved communities and that they are uh, construction skills, which is really focused at, you know, high school graduates that are just getting out of high school Maybe they don't want to go to college or maybe they can't afford to go to college. This is a great path for them. We also have a program. We work with non-traditional employment for women to get and recruit more women into the trades. We have a, a program that is designed for uh, veterans, which is Helms the Hard Hats, very successful program. Right. We're very proud of that. And then P2A, Pathways to Apprentice, which is focused primarily on justice-involved individuals. We, you know, we, we work with uh, a number of organizations to, to help justice-involved individuals find career opportunities, real career opportunities, and, and, and re-entry, so to speak. So um, very, very proud of the apprenticeship, uh, pre-apprentice programs, as well as the apprentice programs. You know, with the uh, difficulty in the uh, basically hiring community now, how has the apprentice program been? Has it been difficult to recruit as many people? Or are you seeing more demand? I'm just curious because right now the economy is in such a strange place with COVID. In, in terms of our recruitments, it's actually just the opposite. You know, when, we, when the, the, the local unions set up classes, it, it could be anywhere depending upon the local union from, you know, 50 to 150. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, you know, these, these recruit, recruitments draw thousands of people. And these recruitment, recruitments can be found on DOL website. And uh, again, there are direct entry programs, which I've mentioned. And then there is a general recruitment. And literally, you know, thousands of people apply to get into, into the building trades unions through their apprentice program. So we've never experienced any short of a shortage of interest of people that want to come into an apprentice program. It's, it's very great. unique. It's very yeah, I'm unique. really happy to hear that. That's terrific. Yeah, very it's unique. a great career path. It and is. Talk, <clears throat> talk about what makes the unionized construction industry distinct from the non-unionized sector. Well, um, first of all, first and foremost, is, is the level of skill. Yeah, again, non-union sector, there are no real apprentice programs. There are no real training programs, certainly not programs that, you know, that go from three to five years. So that's number one. So, you know, that's a big value add, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is that if you have, when you work with union trades, men and women, you are getting the most highly skilled, highly trained construction workers, in my opinion, anywhere in the country here in New York City. Again, I, I believe our programs are best in class. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, 
Obviously, when you are part of a union, you have family sustaining wages. We see so much abuse and exploitation in the non-union sector. You know, this is what we combat every day. This is what we fight against every day. Fortunately, there are unscrupulous contractors out there and there are, you know, unscrupulous developers, frankly. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, many of the, most of the developers we deal with, you know, are, are responsible developers. They want to work with us. And, and so that's a positive thing. But there is what I consider almost an underbelly or an underside of the industry where there was enormous levels of exploitment, uh, exploit, uh, exploitation. Most of the times or many of the times over 50% of these workers that are exploited are undocumented workers uh, and non-English speaking workers. So, you know, this is something that we fight. The other issue is safety. Safety is a priority, as I mentioned earlier. We have uh, very strong safety training programs. And because workers that are on job sites that are represented by unions, if there's something that they feel is unsafe, they have the ability to, to say, stop, I'm not going to do this, go to their shop steward on the job and you know, point these issues out. The non-union don't have that. They are told, we know this, we've spoken to thousands upon thousands of non-union workers who have come to us for assistance and help. And they're told that you know these these concerns are ignored by um, by these non-union contractors. And I'll tell you, you know, the OSHA OSHA puts out statistics every year on fatalities. I will say that construction is a very dangerous business, and there are unfortunately fatalities every year. But almost ninety percent of fatalities uh, are in the non-union sector. And our view is obviously every life matters. Every life is equal, and we have done things. Uh, in terms of legislative issues, uh, we passed a, a mandatory safety requirement in the what's known as the SST cards. That was that was mm-hmm. done by the unionized construction industry for non-union workers because we were experiencing over 20 fatalities a year back in the 2015 and 16 and 17. Again, almost 90% of those those fatalities were non-union workers, and you know we felt as a unionized construction industry. We, we represent all interests of construction workers. We want to bring those non-union workers into the, into the middle class. And so we worked very hard for two years. We passed legislation in the city of New York that required this training. Recently, last year, we passed the, you know, very strong wage theft protections. Again, in the unionized uh, industry, you know, if a, a worker is not paid right, a member is not paid right, he has an opportunity to go and grieve that under his collective bargaining agreement. The non-union sector, we heard so many times, you know, workers would work 50 hours a week and only get paid for 40 hours a week. Some of them would get paid half cash, half on the books. And so we passed that legislation again. That was the unionized, that was an initiative through the state building trade, the state legislation. Again, the unionized construction industry stood up for the interests of all uh, workers whether they're union or non-union. So there is a, a distinct difference, again, between quality, uh, income, benefits, safety, dignity, uh, in, between union and non-union in this industry. You know, you talked a little bit about legislation, and there's been you know a lot of changes in city government uh, from mm-hmm. this past year into the new year, as well as on the, the state side. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on you know, what you're most excited about in the years to come or what you see in terms of some of the leadership, politically speaking? So, I mean, look, we have a new governor, we have a new mayor. You know, I've known both uh, Mayor Adams and Governor Hochul for many, many years. And so, you know, that's that's very encouraging. We have these relationships. 
you know, I look forward to working with both of them to make uh, New York City and New York State uh, and, and create an environment. You know, right now there was a major focus on public safety. And, you know, I support the mayor's initiatives and the, and the governor's initiatives to address public safety and gun violence. You know, the fact of the matter is, is we don't have a safe city. Uh, we're not going to have a, a, a vibrant city. We're not going to yeah. have a city that there'll be real economic opportunity. And without that environment, you know, you're not going to have more construction. You're not going to have more growth. So they have some big challenges, but we support, you know, all those initiatives. We're working very closely with both the Adams administration and the local administration now uh, on issues that are important to, to us. And those issues are is essentially uh, attaching labor standards wherever we can. We've done this very successfully in the renewable sector. Last year, we were able to codify into, into statute for, for, for onshore and offshore wind and solar. We, we were able to codify prevailing wage requirements, project labor agreement requirements. We were able to codify into law labor peace agreements. So those permanent workers on, on offshore wind be able to be organized without interference. And we, we were able to put in statute an incentive for, for these developers uh, to, to buy manufactured components and, uh, from New York State. And we have a Buy American on steel and iron. So we really did really, really well in terms of that area. So look, we, and I mentioned the wage theft. So we have other uh, priorities now. We still want to enhance some of the things that we've done around renewable energy. You know, there's issues with, uh, you know, the, some uh, state authorities, uh, SUNY and DASNY, that we'd like to see a, a broader workforce development integrated into project labor agreements. You know, there's issues with design builders and many kind of in the weeds issues, but we're working very, very well with, uh, with both administrations. And, you know, we, we, we're excited about uh, continuing to work with them. You know, the, the first and foremost is, is that, you know, we, we have a, a good relationship, an open door policy, and a lot of communication. And, you know, it's a negotiation. Legislation is a process and a negotiation. But, uh, you know, we're optimistic that uh, we're going to continue to be able to put in place workplace protections and certainly uh, labor standards uh, in, in so many areas. And again, it's really all about bringing people into the middle class. We, we have really focused on that. And, you know, we have really worked with the city and we're working closely with the state to really focus on how we can bring people from underserved communities into our apprentice programs uh, and into the middle class. And how the state and the city can assist us in that is to continue to increase the pipeline of union work through the use of project labor agreements or, or good policy with labor standards. You know, I've spoken to, uh, you know, electeds for, you know, 30, almost 30 years. And it's always been, you know, we need to, we need to create more work. Uh, I need to get more people from my community into these great apprentice programs. And I would always say to them, okay, but what are you doing to help create more pathways by ensuring that projects are built union in your communities. So, uh, you know, it's the chicken and the egg. We, we, if the more union work that we have, we will have significant work. And we're addressing that now by thinking about how, uh, you know, we're going to bring in uh, recruitments. But I will tell you that the more union work, the more the state and the city can do to make sure there are labor standards and, and, and uh, protections the more opportunity we can create, and not for a job, but for a career. I have to imagine that there's going to be a tremendous amount of construction coming up through uh, 
the federal stimulus? Is there anything that you can share in terms of oh, yeah. the I mean, projects I, I, that are coming uh, up that you guys are involved yes. in? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, look, there is going to be an enormous amount of work. I, I was on a, a Zoom, I guess, about a week and a half ago with leader Schumer, with a few other labor leaders. It was a great, great conversation. I, you know, I want to thank him for his leadership, for everything he's done, continues to do not only for our great nation, but for the city of New York and, and, and the state of New York. He uh, really explained, you know, how this process is going to work. There are there is billions and billions of dollars coming to New York State, New York City. Some of the kind of major projects that you know you might have read about or heard about is obviously the the next phase of the Second Avenue subway. That's a big deal. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Transportation is key to uh, uh, economic development. Uh, the Gateway Tunnel, something I think you know everybody's been. Uh, been talking about for many, many years. There was a lot of controversy over the years, but that money is set aside for the Gateway Tunnel. So those are two major projects. And then there are just, you know, scores of projects throughout the state of New York, bridge projects, road projects that, you know, there's money for schools. um, And that's something we're working on uh, very closely with the UFT about a a, a clean schools campaign, Mm -hmm. right? And this emerges out of COVID about changing HVA systems uh, HVAC systems and, and making sure that the kids and, and the teachers that are in these buildings, some of them, you know, we call kind of have, have old bones, have state-of-the-art, uh, you know, air systems to make sure that our, our kids and our teachers are in healthy environments. So there's so many things coming. I, as, as I had said many times, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of projects that are going to be commencing over the next few months. You know, for example, just to mention redevelopment of, of JFK. You know, Terminal 1 is going to be moving mm-hmm. forward, JetBlue is moving forward, and, and I'm just finishing negotiating now with Delta for the, for the Delta terminal. Great. I mean, between those projects, it's about 13 to $14 billion worth of construction. Hmm. Most of that will be starting this year. Uh, this is going to be thousands of jobs out just in that one, on that one project, building a whole new, uh, you know, JFK airport, essentially. So uh, that's, you know, just to name something. Uh, one and there are many other uh, commercial projects that developers are looking at moving forward, you know, with the anticipation that um, people will be coming back to New York City. And the issue, you know, I just want to share this. So many times you, you read uh, or people may read about, you know, why are they building more commercial space? Because, you know, uh, nobody wants to go back to work. I mean, I think eventually people are going to be back to work. Yeah. But the reason that these new buildings are going up is that, you know, when you're trying to attract major tenants from uh, all over the country, all over the world, you know, you need to have a class A building and that's what they're looking for. You mm-hmm. know, so much of the commercial buildings in New York City, this was what the, the if you remember, the Midtown rezoning was all about, is mm-hmm. really about, uh, you know, taking and creating class A commercial space. Because, you know, when you talk about large institutional firms, they know that their employees don't want to go into, you know, old dilapidated buildings. They want a state-of-the-art building. They want to go into a nice environment. And so there is a focus on, on building these, very, like, a, like a one Vanderbilt, for example. Yes. Um, you know, there's, there's several other developers, uh, TF Cornerstone and RXR and, and Extel, that are looking to move forward massive, I mean, huge projects, you know, Two million square foot projects that's going to primarily be new class a commercial space so there's a lot happening a lot of excitement 
yeah, it's a lot of excitement going on in the industry, talking to architects and engineers and talking to contractors and developers, you know, and we saw in the, the revenues report about construction, you know, things are beginning to turn around by all measures, the same data and the same analysis through the New York Building Congress, you know, points out that construction starts are going to start to really pick up. There's going to be very, very significant work uh, over the next three years. And I believe that is, is going to be true. You know, I said a year ago, we probably have, you know, a little bit of a lull, which we have had. And by second to third quarter of 2022, we'll start to see things change. And, and that, you know, not that I had a crystal ball, but just from talking to the industry as a whole, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the way it looks to appear. Second, third quarter of this year, there's going to be some significant construction starts, create a lot of good employment for, uh, for, for workers. Well, it's a bright future. How can New Yorkers listening uh, learn more about becoming a member of the Building and Construction Trades Council? Right. So, I mean, we do have a website that you could, you know, go on, which is uh, New York City Building Trades. Just Google it. We'll bring you to our website. Also, if they're very interested in becoming, in, in getting into the building trades, the best way to do it is to go to the New York State DOL website and look at apprenticeship recruitment. And you'll see that the classes are when they're going to be starting. If there is veterans that are listening and you're interested in coming into the trade, you can contact Helmets to Hard Hats. You can Google it for the, for the number. Also, construction skills. If you're a high school student or a young adult that thinks they may want to come into the building trade, certainly women, non-traditional employment for women. Just Google it. Give them a call. And again, for justice-involved individuals, P2A is a great program. So everything can be found on the internet. That's the, one of the nice things about the internet. And you can get all the information that you need. And if you're interested, we'll, we'll do everything we can do through these programs, facilitate you know, your entrance uh, into Kraz program. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being with me and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Josh, for having me. I appreciate it. And listen, I hope that uh, everybody stays healthy and well. I hope that things continue to go in a positive direction. It's a great industry for those that are listening. And if you're interested and have a career in construction, the only way to go is through a union apprentice program. He'll be waiting for your call, everybody. <laughs> Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com. <laughs>